Welcome to the Coast Talk Talk podcast. I'm your host, Nick Swinmurn, otherwise known as Coast Talk. I've been a lifelong entrepreneur. Whether it's sports, tech, food, fitness, I've got a bunch of passions. I've also been fortunate enough to invest in some of my favorite sports teams. Along the way, I've met a bunch of great people, whether athletes, entrepreneurs, executives, and we hope to dive into their stories on our show. You'll hear backstories, successes, and failures throughout our discussions. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoy listening to the show. This is Coast Talk Talk. Uh, Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Coast Talk Talk podcast, where we deep dive into the passion projects of the best athletes, executives, and entrepreneurs every week. On today's show, I sit down with Robert Powers, the head of growth strategy for Vivid Labs. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation. Hey, Robert, how's it going? Welcome to Coast Talk Talk. Hey, Nick. Yeah, great to, great to be here. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. I'm excited to, excited for our discussion. Um, I guess if you want to start with a quick introduction, anything you think is relevant to just kickstart things. Yeah, sure. Um, let's see. I'm, I'm head of growth strategy for, for Vivid Labs. My background, um, I've, I've been both on the creative and business side of, of media and entertainment. I've, I've had uh, much more luck on the business side than I ever did on the creative side, but but uh, it certainly informs kind of what I do now. I um, I started um, with kind of data and analytics uh, in the studio system. I moved into uh, technology and innovation um, and uh, joined kind of this blockchain space about three years ago. I've worked for Sony Pictures, 20th Century Fox, very briefly with Disney before uh, before jumping into this uh into this entrepreneurial space with with uh, Vivid Labs. Nice. How, taking it way back, how did you first get started? What was your first, you know, first work experience? How did you kind of end up in that sector? Um, was it what you imagined you would go into growing up? Uh, no, I mean completely not. I, I think I think my path. I think I think what's interesting about media and entertainment is that you you find people with all kinds of paths. Um, I've I've found mine to be. Um, particularly circuitous. I I I always I always loved uh, movies and and television. I grew up in Atlanta at the time. Uh, you had really no idea of what it meant to to make a career out of that. You know, you thought you thought maybe actor, you thought maybe director. But um, I I started on on the creative side out of college. I moved to New York. I opened a theater company. Uh, you know, one of those situations where we did like 14 shows, um, hardly one of them made, you know, hardly any of them made any money. Um, but that actually brought me back, that brought me out here to Los Angeles um, for the first time. Uh, you know, not really knowing what I was doing. I was sleeping on couches. I had three production assistant jobs all at the same time. And, um, you know, I, I, the industry was not, I, I, I couldn't figure out what, how to crack the space here. Um, I was planning to to move back to to Georgia to figure out what kind of lawyer I was going to become. And, uh, I took, a I took a three week travel through China that ended up, um, keeping me there for five years. Wow. And, and that's really kind of where, um, I began to transition more to, to the business side. I, I took a couple of years to, to learn the language and, um, I was teaching English at the time. And then once I got the, the language down, I began, uh, working essentially like management consulting, uh, in, in China and, you know, that was, that was kind of the, you know, that, that was, that was the education right there. I mean, we did, I was working with industries like steel, fashion, LED lighting. Um, but, you know, natural to kind of management consulting, what it, what it teaches you to do is how to quickly assess a business and, and educate yourself on, on different frameworks. And then, you know, that, that was the experience that kind of brought me back to, uh, Los Angeles. Um, I I, um, I got a job with Sony Pictures um, around the time that the China Hollywood conversation was really beginning to bubble up. So this would have been a, this would have been like 2012, and um, um, we were working on things um, like kind of this idea of cross media entertainment. You know, you have your you have your mothership, like your your big IP, and then the question becomes, what can you build around it? Um, and you know, this is the model that, that Disney, um, you know, ultimately. Um, kind of perfected here, uh, and then and then that took me over to 20th Century Fox, where I um, I was hired to help um, kind of launch their VR initiative through this um, through this group called the Fox Innovation Lab, and that's what brought me into the technology space. So the Fox Innovation Lab was really focused on looking at new technologies and and trying to think um, how to bring those technologies into the studio system, whether it's 
creation of new content or marketing or distribution. And I was working with things like VR, AR, 5G, AI, and, and we were doing some very, very early, early blockchain there. And then, uh, and then when um, Disney bought 20th Century Fox, Disney obviously had uh, uh, very many and very good kind of innovation lab spaces. And so that's when I first kind of uh, rolled out of the studio system and, and started, uh, started working, uh, you know, uh, with in, in blockchain and much more kind of entrepreneurial startup uh, type of uh, type of environment. So even from the beginning, right, you, you were very, um, you were very open to moving around. I mean, you went from Georgia to New York to LA to China. What, what do you think it was that, you know, some people, they just can't leave, you know, their hometown or the comfort of where they are. What do you think made you so willing to just go? You know, I, I think for good or for bad and, 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 you know, I think this is also kind of my affinity for this space. Um, you know, when I, when I, when I, in retrospect, when I really think about this, um, you know, I, I don't think I was ever, um, you know, watching, you know, 10 movies a week, um, because I ever thought that I, you know, was going to be a writer that, that I was, you know, truly a creative and, and my early career on the creative side, um, essentially proved that out. But, but what I think I always um, had an attraction to was just general, you know, stories and storytelling. Um, and even in my own decisions, you know, when I think about the move to China, for example, um, you know, I moved there, or I moved there to travel. I mean, I went there to travel, but the decision to stay there, you know, I had no language ability. I had, you know, very little understanding of the culture. Um, you know, I, I think, I think kind of what, uh, you know, what kind of the theme there was, was the stories that it was creating. Right. I, I think, I think I was attracted to the story of it all and, and across my, you know, various moves and, you know, what I think you can look back and say was, was taking certain chances, um, at the end of the day. Um, I, I think what, what motivates in these kind of decisions is, um, you know, does this sound like an opportunity? Does it sound cool? Does it make, does it make an interesting story? Does it, does it, um, you know, does it bring uh, more interesting things and, and experiences and ultimately stories to my own life? And I think I think in those days like that, those are things that ultimately, uh, you know, were really motivating to me. Nice. It sounds like you almost became the character and you became the character in your own in your own movie versus uh, trying to, you know, play a role outside of of other of other characters. What was China like? I mean, what was what was the when you first got there? What did you 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 went there? with a job or you went there and then found the job? Yeah, I went there as part of a, a part of a program um, that was going to, you know, teach, teach English for a, a very, you know, a very limited amount of time. Um, and, uh, and when I got there, um, I was, I was with this program. The intention was that, um, you know, we, we, we went into Beijing. Um, the intention that was that we were going to, you know, go to some, um, you know, smaller town in the South of China and, you know, teach, um, like grade school. Um, but, but while I was there, I'm um, just doing some very basic, very, very basic language training and, um, you know, early ESL training, you know, really just to get the tools to equip us. Um, I was introduced to, uh, the Dean of a very strong university there. It's essentially kind of like the Harvard Yale of China. It's called, um, Peking university. Uh, and, um, and they, they, um, they were in a situation where the semester was about to start and one of their uh, English teachers, I, I think, got there and realized that that's not what they wanted to do. And so, you know, they asked um, if I wanted to do it and I just I just said yes. And um, that kind of led to um, two years of, of doing that while I was kind of learning, you know, learning the culture, learning the language. It was it was a fantastic experience. I mean, this was this was a time um, around around the Olympics um, when. Um, you know, I, I think in various ways, the environment is a, is a little bit different than, than it is today. Um, I was teaching um, extremely, um, extremely intelligent students. They had, you know, fantastic grasp of the English language. And so it wasn't a situation where I was, you know, teaching verb conjugation and vocabulary. Um, we were, we were, you know, my classes were based on like thematics, like Western culture and, and things like that. And so um, for me, to be honest, like sometimes it felt like um, I got the better end of the education stick than even they did because um, just the experience to to learn about the culture and the history and the perspective of uh, you know relatively young people 
Um, and of course, you know, what it did for kind of the language learning as well was, I think, an experience that I could not have, um, I could have not, I could not have copied anywhere else. Um, so um, in terms of, in terms of kind of the time I was there and, and um, the environment with which I was in, um, you know, aside from just kind of the daily struggles of being in an unfamiliar culture and, and not knowing the language, um, it was a very kind of easy transition uh, for me and, and an invaluable experience. Was there anyone you you kind of met or any mentor you met early on over there that kind of, you know, helped you see more potential or, you know, navigate your way from, you know, where you first went over there for to, you know, teaching at a university to then, you know, joining a company? Uh, no, I mean, you know, obviously there were very kind of um, instrumental people um, over the course of time, like uh, there, you know, um, the, the dean that first brought me in was extremely supportive and, and protective and um, always mindful of, of our experience there. Um, a number uh, of students who, you know, I still consider um, to, be, to be friends today, um, who, you know, were instrumental in helping me kind of learn the culture and understand the mind, you know, the mindset. And then, you know, uh, obviously, I think just as you begin to think about, um, you know, here I am teaching English and learning the language, what, what does this ultimately transition to? Um, you know, given the time in China there, um, obviously a, a lot of people were very business minded in terms of, in terms of kind of us China cross business. But, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for me, um, that just really showed me kind of the potential of where this could go, uh, was, um, you know, particularly compared to my knowledge going in there, I was totally unaware of the type of innovation and tech innovation that was happening in China at the time. And that was, um, you know, that was, um, that was kind of a re revelation for me, um, seeing, you know, what they were doing there and, and how they were growing businesses and building, you know, building um, tech applications. And, and, and that's really kind of where my head started to go um, through that experience is um, really kind of putting me more into kind of a, a tech mindset and, and what kind of things could be built through, through technology. Did you have any interest in tech prior to that? Or was this kind of the, this was the moment where it was like, wow, look at, you know, the world this has opened up. Yeah, I, I had I had no tech experience. I I, I don't come from a tech family, um, uh, so it was it was it was eyes wide open. It was you know it was drinking from the fire hose, and and you know I think what what became interesting um, as I as I moved into you know as I moved back into kind of the entertainment field is that this was also a, a moment where uh, movies and television entertainment companies were also beginning you know. To, to really embrace technology in a new way. I mean, you know, technology has always been central to, to filmmaking, obviously, um, whether it's, you know, innovations of sound and color and, and filmmaking processes. But, but this, is, this is around the time where you really saw what were traditional tech companies beginning to step into entertainment. And so, you know, I think as I moved back into to entertainment, there kind of became this really nice spot of, um, what what can technology bring to to the to the medium, particularly in terms of kind of new content, new distribution modes, and and really, you know, when we when we talk about you know new content and new distribution, that that really for me at least is kind of what it, what's at the heart of um, NFTs and blockchain and what you know what we're doing today within the entertainment and media space. Yeah, so I guess before we get to the to the present and the future, back to the past. So you, you're. How did you, you know, if, if you look, if I look through your your career, it's it's strategy, business development, but you're you're teaching English at a university in China. Like, how did that next phase? How did you transition from that to business development strategy? How did you, you know, either find that opportunity, or what did they see in you that made them think, hey, this would this would be a great you know asset for us? Yeah, I, you know, this is this is kind of the magic of my China experience. I mean. I, I don't know that I ever would have gotten into strategy um, had I not gone to China. Um, I, I, and I certainly um, would not have had the resume to, to be working, um, you know, management consulting jobs. Um, but, you know, because of the environment of China, um, um, because of what I was able to kind of, um, you know, accomplish uh, at a language level, um, and frankly, in some cases, because I was, I was Western, um, I got opportunities to, um, to work within some of these fields um, that ultimately transitioned me to, to, to very formal, 
you know, very formal training in management consulting. And so, you know, management consulting for me was, was, was essentially that, that business school. Now I, I, you know, I did ultimately go back to, to grad school, but, but in those early days, like the, the management consulting, you know, is, a uh, is, a uh, is training ground for understanding business and strategy. You know, like I mentioned, working across a variety of industries, what you're trying to do is find those commonalities. And, and there are commonalities when you, when you begin to think about overall strategy. The, the trick is learning the particularities of a business or an industry. Um, but, but the frameworks um, are, are things that, you know, those essentially become your tools. And so, you know, through, through kind of the, the China experience, coming back to the States, people being interested in people with China experience and, and particularly language skills, um, I was able to um, to work for, uh, you know, work within this management consulting, and that's where I learned kind of the strategy side. Yeah, and last last thoughts on China. Two questions: What was, what were the key lessons, your key takeaways from your time in China, and 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 kind of the the foundation that you got there that you think have most helped you um, to today? And also, what what brought you back? Why why the return to the states? Um, you know, I, I think the, the biggest lesson for me, particularly just kind of given, um, you know, somewhat of an insularity in terms of in terms of in terms of my experience before China, you know, what China made me realize is that, that there's there's an, there's entire worlds and ways of thinking out there. And, you know, I think one of the largest skills that I picked up in my experience of China um, was one of, you know, taking my own kind of mindset and um, framing of how, you know, I think of things or how I live my life and, and being, having the opportunity to put that next to and put that up against, um, very different ways of thinking. And, you know, I, I think, I think how that applies to, you know, learning skills around how to be flexible, learning skills about how to talk to people, um, how to navigate very kind of, um, difficult, um, you know, situations or different mindsets, like all of these skills, um, helped me on the strategy side where, where it's, um, you know, whether it's trying to very quickly learn about something and, and kind of give yourself a foundational knowledge, um, whether it's negotiation, um, these are all, these are all skills I, I picked up kind of in that frying pan of, of China. Yeah. And then what brought you back? Brought me back. Um, I, I ultimately, um, I, I came back, um, essentially to, to take, you know, to work with, or I should say, I, I kind of stepped out of the China experience to work um, for Sony Pictures. Um, what what really you know what really motivated me in that transition was um, you know here here um, was this very particular moment where the studios were looking more towards um, China for a variety of strategies, um, and I found myself in a somewhat unique position of someone who. Um, had lived or worked with China for for five years and had a very kind of unique skill set around that. And um, you know, I, I never I never knew if I would ever get back to media and entertainment, but here I found um, a way to get back to it. And and you know, as I mentioned, it was it was something that I was always extremely passionate about, and I continued to be, um, you know, through through uh, my non entertainment experiences. And so. Um, it was really China that kind of brought me back to the back to the industry, and um, and you know I think at the time, um, like I said, studios were looking for people with these skill sets, and that's what that's what brought me um, back to LA. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear um, like an actual story of this because because over the years you heard so many times, or I heard so many times, and I don't remember how long ago, but when I was younger, of just you know people saying if we were smart, we would move to China, you know, because China is the future, and there's so much we could learn there, and there's so much you know with the globalization of everything, like, this is what we should be doing. And I never, you know, no matter how many times those conversations took place, I never actually met anyone, <laughs> you know, at least in my circle, no one actually did it, right? So it's it's fascinating to um, to talk to you about your experience with it. I mean, you know, it's, there, you know, you, there's narrative to all of this, you know, like, um, and, and, you know, as humans, I think we try to, like, frame our experiences along, along certain narratives. It's funny, though, like, um, I remember, I remember when I was in China, um, there was, there was one particular day, um, where it struck me, uh, yeah, you know what, maybe I do actually know this language. Like I remember the day where, where, um, you know, after, you know, after kind of 12 months, 13 months of studying where it, it crossed my mind that, um, yeah, maybe I, maybe I have kind of picked this up. Like three days later, um, I was talking to people and they were like, oh, well, what you should really be doing is learning Vietnamese. 
Um, and so, you know, there, I feel like there's always that thing that we should be doing. And, and maybe today, you know, maybe today it's like, you know, we should all be learning solidity. I, I don't know, but, but, um, yeah. but, but yeah, you know, there's always these, these things that um, maybe we, we should or should have been doing. That's actually an interesting segue with the solidity comment, because yeah, it's something I've over the years being, being in tech, but not being technical, right? It's always the, that thought in the back of your head of like, wow, if I could just, should I, should I take the time to get up to speed on some of this so I could be a little more self-reliant? I could be a little more able to evaluate, you know, what's really going on and how long should it really take, et cetera. But it's always, things move so fast and there's so much opportunity that it feels like, I don't know if it's just laziness on my part, but it always feels like, eh, I don't know. You know, I always get to the end result of, yeah, it's going to take me a lot of time. It's going to distract me from what I'm doing. <clears throat> and I'm never going to be as good as I need to be, which is, I look back and say, man, I wish I would have just kind of powered through that a couple times and just, because everything you know the basics of gives you so much more, um, you're just so much better off better off for it. But how did you, um, when you got back, so what, what uh, you get back into media and entertainment. Um, you mentioned you were introduced to blockchain. I don't remember if, if that was briefly in China or where it was, but what was your first experience with the blockchain and what were you thinking at the time? Or did you say that this is the future? Did you say, well, this is an interesting strange thing. This is something I need to dive headfirst into. You know, I'll put this in the back of my mind for later. What was the, uh, what was your first reaction to it? Yeah. You know, it, it took me a bit to be honest. Um, when I, so when I, when I moved back here, I, uh, when I, when I moved um, back to LA, I, I probably spent, I probably spent about seven years within kind of the studios doing just very general tech stuff. You know, I think, as I mentioned, VR, AR, AI, 5G, you know, trying to get across all of these, these technologies and um, um, I think I I was first really kind of introduced to to blockchain, um, you know, around 2013, 2014. And I, I tried to kind of get my mind around it. You know, I, I dabbled very, um, you know, I, I dabbled very minutely. I certainly had friends that were much more, you know, advocates and and uh, you know, perhaps even uh, much more brave about about really getting into it. Um, but but yeah, it took me a bit and and. Um, yes, at you know these studio jobs, um, particularly with the with the Fox Innovation Lab, we were doing some very early blockchain work there. But to be honest with you, when I joined um, Vivid Labs now three years ago, um, I was still you know very much um, you know very much kind of new to the mentality of it, and uh, and even working for a blockchain company. Um, you know, I, I would have to say it took me a minute to to really, you know, the the, the glass of Kool Aid was sitting there in front of me, um, but it, it really took me a, a little bit to kind of really pick it up and 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 take sips from it. Um, but but you know what you know what I think really what what really what really made me start gulping, um, to be honest, was was the NFT space um, because for me um, I wasn't so much always interested in kind of the financialization side of of blockchain and. Um, you know, I, I, we did a lot of, I did a lot of work about around understanding kind of the logistics um, use cases that blockchain could, could bring in, but none of those things really kind of lit a fire under me. It was, it was really seeing, you know, beginning to see what was being, being done um, in the NFT space, you know, particularly around like some early projects in 2017 um, that I began to really understand kind of the, the content side of what um, NFTs and, and then obviously blockchain um, could could contribute to, and that's what really um, that's what really really kind of brought on the transition for me. Yeah, I got, <clears throat> I got to say, I think financialization might be my new favorite word. I don't. Those, I'm going to use. I'm going to start using that one. It just rolls off the tongue. It was like financialization. It sounded like I don't know something. I wrote it down immediately. I'm like, what a what a great word. Um, before we get into vivid, so VR, AR, AI. What's in your opinion? When's it going to have that mass? breakthrough and what's it what's it going to take yeah it's a great question you know um it's it's funny that that's the question you ask um because you know that was the very same question that was being you know that we that that we were trying to wrap our minds around you know even five years ago and yeah. um you know what we were doing uh, just to kind of talk some specifics here i mean what we were doing at the fox innovation lab was we were we were looking at the technology and we were trying to understand um you know what the studio could do with it um, obviously, you know, the concept of like content creation was probably chief of, of, you know, how we were looking at, looking at it. But, you know, we were also looking at distributing, you know, 
traditional entertainment like movies through through you know VR um, as well. And you know, I, I think it was also an interesting time in the industry because um, <clears throat> we were moving into this space of things being more and more digital, and um, we were beginning to see those themes around what was happening with movie theaters and Netflix was coming on and traditional businesses like home entertainment were um, were beginning to be not as as strong as they traditionally were. And there was a lot of kind of angst about, um, you know, how how the business was um, going to stay <clears throat> kind of afloat. Some of those themes obviously still exist today. Um, and there was this a lot of angst about what VR was going to do, you know, whether this was going to just completely re- replace the movie, you know, the movie theater experience, or if this was going to completely change um, the way we think about content. And the reality then and the reality today and even the reality with with new you know, mediums like NFTs is like, you know, the answer is no. Um, you know, this this becomes um, just another way to experience content and to kind of get really into more of the business weeds of it. This this really is becomes just another way to experience IP. It's another it's another avenue through which creatives, whether you're, you know, whether your medium is traditional filmmaking or whether your medium is VR, it's another way to. Um, express content experiences. And so, you know, I, I think the VR um, industry today is um, on much more sound footing even, even than it was then. There's, there's a lot of really interesting experiences that you can do through, through VR. I think, um, I think the business has um, more of a foundation as well. Um, do I think that it's going to replace, inter- you know, is it just going to um, steamroll entertainment as we know it today? Uh, no, but but nor does it need to, and and I think the same goes for for AR, and you know AR I think in a lot of ways has has more potential than than even VR because I think at the end of the day we we still are kind of very social creatures, and and AR gives a little more leeway into that. AR allows you to interact in more of a real world setting, um, because you know AR kind of overlays our real world. Um, so you know. Um, five years ago, we were saying, um, you know, we were saying in five years, um, um, this was going to be a, a, a super large business. And, you know, I think, I think, I think always the outlook is five years. Uh, maybe we would say the same thing for like, um, you know, NFTs really becoming um, a really kind of um, um, sure foundation in the industry as well. But, you know, tech is going to do what tech is going to do. And um, the creatives, you know, the creatives in the industry, um, I, I honestly think, um, things get pushed forward with creatives um, as opposed to technologies themselves. Um, and I think with across all of these technologies, what we're always looking for um, are those creatives who really have an organic understanding of the medium. You know, this is not just about bringing traditional filmmakers into these new um, mediums and, and thinking that, um, that there's kind of an organic understanding of how to interact in these new mediums. Um, but but it takes you know organic creatives who are really passionate about these technologies and, and finding ways um, to use those technologies in an organic way to really kind of push these new mediums forward. Yeah, no, it's interesting because it's, it's it's we always talk about what's next. We always kind of like map the future to the past, and it's like you know VR is such a strange one because I put my quest on, and I love it. I think I should. Why don't I do this more often? And then I just don't. I just don't do it more often, you know. And so then you know I think back to you know, way back when with e-commerce and it was like, um, for me specifically, it was like, you know, approaching brands saying, hey, we want to sell your shoes online. And they're like, no, it was just, it was black and white to them. Uh, we can't do that because that's gonna, you know, cannibalize our brick and mortar sales. And it's like this weird thing where it's like, well, that's, that doesn't make sense. You're gonna, you're gonna change your mind over time. And then in a weird way, it, it does. What they, what they're saying was, was true, right? You just can't fight it. And so it's interesting with, you know, obviously with NFTs, which is what I spend a you know the majority of my time or a lot of my time thinking about is like you know we're in such a rush to have it be you know or the block you know web three to be the new internet that it's like it's it's interesting to think well there's a you know is it the new VR or or what is VR you know what's the what's the what can you compare VR to in the past and and a lot of these things it's like wow this is a huge market either way even if it's not the biggest but then it's like so exciting when things are at that stage where, well, they might be able to be the biggest, right? I think right now we probably think, well, VR is probably not going to, without something different happening, right, change. But, but the, uh, you know, the blockchain space in general is, is, uh, is so interesting to see which, which one of those it can become. So I guess uh, Vivid Labs, how, uh, I guess if you want to give a quick, you know, summary and kind of, you know, 
what you guys are working on, how you got involved there, what you're excited about? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Vivid Labs, we are, you know, the way that we, the easiest way we describe ourselves is as a NFT publishing platform and tool set. Um, the company was started by a serial entrepreneur, Halsey Miner. Um, he started, you know, he started CNET. He was the very first investor in Salesforce. He started OpenDNS. Um, he um, um, essentially the company that became Google Voice um, in the blockchain space, Uphold, and and, and now Vivid Labs. Um, what what we're really focused on is um, is providing this publishing platform and tool set to enable content creators, brands, content platforms, and even businesses outside of you know, what we think as the traditional vertical for NFTs, media and entertainment, um, even, even helping companies um, outside of those traditional spaces, enabling them with the abilities to essentially create, manage, um, create and manage their own NFTs. Uh, what we do um, is the, the way that we think about NFTs, I think is quite unique. Um, the way we approach NFTs and, and really kind of the, um, the elevator pitch there is, um, you know, over this past year, I think we've seen we've seen some potential for NFTs, and and I think we we recognize kind of the utility that NFTs bring, like the ability to engage communities or access to in real life experiences. Um, obviously, depending on the NFT, certain commercial rights. Um, but from our viewpoint, um, and what we're really focused on is that the actual media experience of the NFT is not that compelling. And so what we're really focused on is how can um, we put together kind of a tool set and a platform that allows us to create much more compelling media experiences, uh, essentially bringing complex, you know, media experiences to the NFT. So, you know, what we do, for example, we, we um, create this type of NFT that we call the, um, the media rich updatable NFT. Um, I can just kind of, um, um, speak through the kind of the main features here um, um, really quickly. But uh, the NFTs that, I mean, essentially what we see as this NFT, we see this as the evolution of NFTs. I mean, I think I think we're in this moment right now where we're seeing um, kind of the, the legs of the JPEG NFT kind of losing gas a bit. And I think there is this big question of where do NFTs go from here? And so whether we're talking to, um, you know, content creators or brands or businesses, um, the idea is how can we do more with the with the NFT, and so and so, kind of the the particular features that we bring is you know our NFTs are are uh, there's there's kind of three main main features to to mention here. Um, I don't know Nick if if, um, if I can just run through them real quickly. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, but um, uh, so first off, our NFTs are multi format. Um, this essentially means we can build an NFT out of almost any media format. So of course we're doing like the industry standards. We're doing um, PNGs, JPEGs, audio, video, 3D objects. Um, but what underlies our, our platform is a decentralized media processing platform that allows us to handle media that's much more complex. So, you know, for example, um, today we're creating NFTs that are up to 32 gigabytes. Um, we can handle two-hour feature films. We can do 4K. We're doing some early work with AR, you know, as, as, an, as NFTs as well. And so I think the complexity... Um, that content creators or platforms can think of. It's not, it no longer is it, you know, what can I do with this one JPEG? Um, but it's, it's how do you bring, um, you know, long form video? Um, how do you bring VR, AR content into the NFT? Um, the, the, the second feature that we do um, is called multi-asset. Um, today, people think of NFTs as, you know, one NFT equals one JPEG or one NFT equals one video. But we, we build NFTs as if they are containers for content, for media. So if you are a creator and you want to build an NFT that is 20 JPEGs, 10 videos, 5 audio clips, you can put all of that content into one NFT. And so the, the type of experience that a content creator can build through this media-rich, updatable NFT is much more complex than what they're, you know, what they can do today. So it's a much larger sandbox to really create compelling experiences. And like I said, we're building NFTs that are up to 32 gigabytes. So the combination of content that you can put into one NFT is much more robust than, than what's out there on the market today. And then just the final one here is our NFTs are updatable. So even after you mint the NFT um, or even after you sell the NFT, 
the original content creator can continue to add new content into that into that NFT container. So the NFT is you know no longer kind of this static experience, but it's but it's an evolving and dynamic one that can change over time. If you're a content creator, you know think of it as like an open content channel between yourself and the people who hold your hold your NFTs. So so at the end of the day, again, what we're really focused in on is. Um, uh, NFT utility is really fantastic. There's some great themes around Web3 that you know we think are really exciting. Um, but to really take advantage of those Web3 themes, um, the actual content or the media experience of the NFT um, has to be much more compelling. And so that's what we're really focused on. And how do you balance from a, I guess, from a strategy perspective, like staying ahead, right? Like seeing what's what's coming next, what you know people are going to want. Uh, both as creators to differentiate themselves and and holders as an experience with onboarding, you know, brands, projects, creators into an industry that they already, a lot of them already feel is a little, you know, confusing and, and out there. How do you, um, how do you balance that? Yeah. I, I mean, I'd like to say like um, a large part of what I do is like, um, you know, business deals and negotiation and whatnot. But today, a, lar- a large part of what we do, and I think this is, goes across kind of the strategy or business development um, portions of the, of the business, like a large, a large part of what we do is education um, and trying to find those frameworks that, you know, like you were saying earlier, um, you know, that compare what we have today with something that, you know, something that, that you know, people recognize or they can, you know, they can find more tangible. Um, but you know, I, I think what what we have found, um, particularly again in this moment of, you know, where people are with NFTs are kind of asking what's next. As we talk to um, studios or production companies, uh, what we have found is that you know six months ago, uh, maybe they they you know these studios felt like oh we we must be in NFTs. Everyone's talking about them. We need to wrap our minds around these. Um, you know, they would go you know okay, so what can we do with NFTs? And the answer would be JPEG, you know, and, and when studios hear the answer is JPEG, um, they don't get it because, because what, what they deal in is much more complex media than JPEG. So I think there really was a dissonance of, of, around like, okay, people are into these things, but what, what does that really mean for us? And I think kind of with what our technology brings, you know, giving them the ability to do much more complex media is we are now speaking more their language. So, you know, when we go to studios or production companies and we can say, yes, you can do that two hour feature film, you can do that long form video, um, you can do, um, you know, VR and AR. Um, I think it, it, it kind of demonstrates to them. It's something it's, it's something more that they understand. And so, you know, I would like to say that, um, that, you know, we were super strategic about this, but really, really the, the technology enables us to speak more of their language and, and so, yes, we have to do that education. Yes, we have to do that, that handholding. Um, but these experiences look much more akin to things that they're used to than, you know, just, um, just one single JPEG. And what are, what are your thoughts on the permanence of it all? You know, like how, and, and does that come up in these conversations of like, you know, you know, in, with web two, I guess we can, we can, we can post movies, we can post images, we can, we can post text and we can, now you can change your, your containers, but we can. We can get rid of that, right? If we, we we upload something and we think, oh man, that's you know, we look back, that was a different direction, or ah, oh, that was a little just looks so primitive compared to what we're doing now. But with the blockchain, you can't, you know, it's there. And do you find that that are companies thinking about that? Does that intimidate them at all? I mean, I know for myself, I first time I um, you know uploaded a contract, I I did it wrong, right? And so the contract was there. I uploaded a collection. And now I can't, that collection's on OpenSea and I just can't get rid of it, you know? And so it's like, um, is, does the permanence of it all scare people or they're just not even really thinking or worried about that? And we're such a transparent world that it's almost like a, a badge of honor to have your progression visible forever. Yeah, all, all our mistakes um, um, immutably, uh, immutably stored. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I actually, that's, that's an interesting thought in terms of just kind of, um, you know, where culturally, um, we are with transparency these days. And, and maybe that that's something that's an interesting thing to think about. But, you know, there's there's places uh, in blockchain where um, where you can um, make mistakes or not. And, you know, those those mistakes are um, irrev- can you know be irrevocably um, found. Um, but there's also places um, I, I do think 
there is some misunderstanding around the technology that, you know, um, everything is forever permanent and can't be changed. And, and so, you know, I think part of what we do from an education standpoint is kind of showing the delineation. Yes, like you said, um, you put something in a smart contract, you put that contract on the blockchain um, and you have a degree of permanence. Um, but I mean, what we're seeing um, these days is there are you know, ways to update that, right? For example, um, the, the feature that I mentioned, kind of our updatable NFTs, you can, you know, you can add new content to those NFTs. Um, technically, you can, you can remove content as well. Um, we're kind of in this, this place right now where, um, you know, not only are people trying to wrap their minds around what, what NFTs are, um, that I think, you know, I think in a good way kind of keeps us within narrow lanes. But the full, you know, the full use of the technology, the full capabilities of the technology um, are, are not completely understood, um, I think, by, you know, people that are beginning to dabble. And so there is actually more flexibility than I think, um, I think really the, the you know, the, the industry considers. Um, what, what is immutable is every change you make. Is the is the is the permanent part is the is the immutable part, but you can actually change the content experience, um, you know, if you wanted to. So, um, you know, that that's part of the kind of the education that we we work around is um, how do you build these content experiences, having the flexibility to make certain mistakes and being able to to, to change those mistakes as well. And you know, as we talked about, like, um, you know, this is kind of the fun part of it because you you know you you work with you work with creatives who you know, or kind of learning, um, learning the, the, the ropes and the basics as you go. And you, and you find those people who just have that organic understanding for it. And, and that type of creativity, you know, whether, whether ultimately it's quote a mistake or not, I mean, that's, that's where things really get exciting. And what the NFTs, are they on Ethereum? Like layer one, are they? So, um, we, we have our own blockchain. It's the, it's the vivid blockchain. Um, we were previously called uh, video coin, the video coin chain. Our, our, our ticker is VID. It's a proof of stake chain. It's a, um, it's a utility token. Um, the, the reason we have our own chain is because, um, the, the technology that allows us to do these kind of innovative things with NFTs is this decentralized media processing platform. And that platform kind of runs off of our, um, is essentially managed by our blockchain. Um, however, we can land our NFTs. We can mint our NFTs on on other chains. So we are completely EVM compatible. Today, we're compatible with with Polygon, and we're working on other compatibilities as well. And the you know the reason obviously this is important is because um, you know like it or not, the secondary market um, is a key component of NFTs today. And so we, you know, we achieve compatibility with these other chains so that we can bring these really complex NFTs to secondary marketplaces like, like OpenSea, for example. And when you're, when you're, when you're kind of pitching, you know, these more complicated content creators and on this whole process of like, they, you know, especially onboarding someone, they say, well, look, I've got, I've got millions and millions of, you know, customers, viewers, et cetera. But how many of them are on on the blockchain? Like, what's your thoughts? I guess on the future of like just setting up wallets and being able to navigate between between things more easily. Will you think the onboarding process will greatly improve, or do you think it's just more and more users will go through that process? They'll know someone else who went through the process, and so the process won't be as intimidating. Yeah, I think both of those poles are going to meet. You know, meet in some in some type of middle. But, you know, absolutely. Um, so, yes, you know, there, there will be kind of, you know, there, there will a natural affinity will kind of come about as, you know, your friends create their first uh, non-custodial wallet like MetaMask. And then, you know, they they sit you down and they walk you through how to how to do it. And, you know, I think I think um, I think once you do it and, and you, you know, you find certain comfort with it, with it, you kind of for, forget like the difficulty. But so, yes, that's absolutely something that's going to happen. But I but I do think. Um, the, the technology itself um, has to become more more user friendly as well, um, and and obviously there's there's companies out there that are solely focused on making a better wallet experience or making a better exchange experience, um, and it's going to happen. I mean, you know, I think I think I think anything um, you know for people who who obviously spend a lot of time in technology, particularly if you've had the, the opportunity to work across many technologies, um, you know, just think about the you know the VR. 
um, you know, the VR headsets from, from the eighties till now, um, just a total sea change technology, um, you know, technology finds a way. Um, and I think that absolutely is going, is going to happen here. Awesome. And just a couple more, a couple more questions. Um, you know, I've always thought that, you know, entrepreneurs, it's like always taken so literally, right. As has to be starting your own company and, and really like, you know, running a unit or running a division within an existing company is really the same, the same thing. Um, and more specifically, you know, strategy and business development really are entrepreneurial activities, whether you're within another company or on your own. Have you had the urge to to start your own company? Or, you know, I mean, you did, you know, way back when with, with the theater company, but do you see yourself, you know, branching out on your own? Or, or do you really feel like this, you know, helping kind of define the strategy and, and growth for for other companies is 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 the, you know, what you're passionate about? Yeah, look, I mean, I think it always comes down to, you know, it always comes down to like the opportunity of it. Um, and, you know, kind of to hit to hit, you know, the thematic, like kind of the story, you know, the story of it. I I have found like, um, yes, um, some, you know, entrepreneurial experiences, or at least an entrepreneurial mindset, um, kind of very early in my career, um, you know, can can be pointed to. Um, I loved working for um, the large, you know, the large studios. I loved being within that machine, and I and I loved um, working with the variety of people that you know you had to get permissions from, and and just building kind of those those interpersonal relationships and understanding how like a complex um, how a complex you know organization works. Um, and then um, jumping um, into um, Vivid Labs um, was also kind of like a plunge into a cold pool uh, in, a, in a good way in terms of, you know, building up those those skill sets, um, you know, working for someone like Halsey, who had, you know, has had tremendous entrepreneurial ex, um, ex, uh, experience um, has been a great education for me. Um, I think kind of the guiding star is not that I'm just like, you know, sitting on a bunch of ideas that, that you know, I ultimately want or would think would be a, a good thing to kind of um, start out on my own. But, but I think for me, what drives, it's all, always about curiosity. And I, and I think if curiosity is being satisfied, whether you're in a big organization or a small um, entrepreneurial organization, or you're thinking about starting, you know, starting your own company, um, for me, what, what guides is what keeps me curious. And, you know, today, um, this space, I, I just can't imagine um, a better space for curiosity. There's, there's something um, there's something to learn every day. Um, you know, there's, there's 50 articles, um, that you can add to your feed every day. And just from a, you know, just from a learning standpoint, um, I'm, I'm extremely satisfied and, and I feel very lucky to, to be in this space, um, particularly coming from traditional entertainment and now, you know, working in traditional entertainment on, on areas that were kind of considered fringe and new, and now kind of even being out a little further on, on the diving board here. Um, is, you know, has me really satisfied with, with the work I do on a daily basis. Awesome. So as a last question, usually um, I'm going to go a little different than, than, we, than we do usually to kind of tap into your expertise here. For the, uh, the young entrepreneurs out there uh, working on taking an idea and building a strategy around it, like what are the first, or what are, what are the first key, like big picture components of an effective strategy? And then what are the first, what's like your, the first set of checks and balances that once you've got your strategy on paper, what are the first things you do to help validate, you know, is what does what does what I've written down make sense? Uh, you know, I, I think um, th- this metaphor is not going to be brilliant by any means, but but, I, you know, I think it's it's always the funnel shape. Right. I think early on um, it's it's about putting as much into the top of the funnel as you can, um, you know, whether it's educating yourself. Um, learning intricacies intricacies of the of the business or the industry um, that you're you know that you're targeting, um, you know I, I think uh, a tremendous part of this um, that that I kind of ignored in my early career, um, you know, which is one of my regrets is uh, and and something that you you know I've I've learned along the way is you know there's this mindset of the entrepreneur, but by no means is the entrepreneur a single individual. Um, the entrepreneur has to be, in my opinion, a combination of a million conversations that, you know, that you have with peers, competitors, colleagues, um, even even people that aren't even in the industry. Um, and I think, you know, earlier on, um, if I had had a better, you know, I, I, I regret not having a better understanding of um, how important it is to, you know, talk to people and get, you know, get checks on what you're thinking. Um, you know, I, I think 
um, I kind of um, came up in tech in this culture of like the, you know, the, the sole technology genius, like obviously people like, um, you know, Steve Jobs kind of like, you know, is that is that mold. Um, but I think practically and for the majority of us, um, that's not necessarily the mold that we um, that we should follow. This should be about engaging the community of, of people around you and and asking stupid questions and not being afraid to look dumb or, or on, you know, not knowledgeable and really testing um, your, your thoughts, because I, I think that's where um, you begin to inch down from the top of the funnel to the bottom of the funnel where you can really start to be um, be effective. That makes sense. I told, I couldn't agree with you more. I think there's always there's always a focus on the or a need. I think in to in the media or you know with revisionist history to always assign there needs to be someone to point to, right? To assign the credit to, to anoint as a genius. Um, just because it's easier to comprehend, it's easier to get into a tight story and and something that we can point to. But I'm pretty sure if you went back at all those, you know, even the best examples, even the Steve Jobs, and you'd, you'd say. They, they couldn't do this on their own. It wasn't, you know, solely their own ideas. They weren't, you know, locked in a room, you know, with no outside um, input. So I think it's definitely, a, I think it's a, it's a really important lesson, I think, for young entrepreneurs because so many aspire to these, you know, individual things that they're just not, they're not reality, right? And so they think they have to go about it in a certain way. So I think that was, a, yeah, that was really, really great advice. I really enjoyed our conversation. I am... Um, you know, I'm sitting here thinking I need to travel more and I need to see where that leads me. But no, I, I uh, yeah, enjoyed the conversation. I think a uh, really interesting um, perspective and experience. And uh, where can people find you if they want to they wanna learn more? Yeah, absolutely. So our, our website um, is um, www.vividlabs.com. Um, you know, you can, you can see um, all of our social channels there. We have our Twitter, of course. Um, you know, please, please step into our Discord community. A lot of conversation uh, happening there. Um, you know, I, I also like to kind of point out um, some of uh, some of the, the customers we launched. Um, we launched um, Natural Selection Tour. Check out their website, natural, naturalselectiontour.com. Um, and we just launched um, Airbud as well, um, Airbud Entertainment, you know, the, uh, the, the basketball playing uh, dog. Um, they've, um, however, done, you know, over the past two decades, they've done uh, a ton of IP and we, we launched a, an NFT project with them um, just a few weeks ago. So, you know, check those out as well, because that really shows kind of what our what our technology can do. Um, but uh, no, really, thanks for this. It was great. It was great chatting with you. I really appreciate it, Nick. Awesome. Thanks. Well, uh, anyone listening, uh, if you get a chance, rate, review, subscribe, listen again, send this episode to friends. I think there's a lot of great information in there. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. 